Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on November 14th, Lord's Day service. I'm very glad to see all of you today. It is a joy and delight to be back with the Lord's people. I can now report firsthand from experience. COVID is rough, but God is good. And I'm thankful. Our passage this morning is the book of Leviticus chapter 9. We'll begin reading verses 1 through 6, and then we will skip down to verse 23. Leviticus 9, verse 1. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull, a young bull as a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And the children of Israel to whom you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. Now skip to verse 23. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from before the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithmar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from before the Lord of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you. When you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between clean and unclean. And that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Let us pray. Our Father in God, 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We come this morning to what is clearly a hard passage. We see God's glory filling the tabernacle. But when Nadab and Abihu offered profane fire, God's fire comes out and kills them. So we are immediately confronted with a question. Why would a good God kill people? Don't think that Yahweh's enemies skip over this portion of Scripture. They know it well. They are ready and waiting to ask such questions. And if they don't ask you, they will definitely ask your children. So do you have an answer for this? Some people answer that God is different now in the new covenant. They say he changed when Jesus died for the world, and he doesn't do things like that anymore. We like a God who is comfortable. We want him to hate sin and all the bad people. But we want him to, under, to be understanding for people like me and other people who are like me. But we don't get to define who God is or what he likes and dislikes. We cannot portray God in our image. No, we are made in his image. So we are called to conform to him. The God we serve today is the same God Israel worshiped in the old covenant. He is the same God who revealed his glory to his people, who struck Nadab and Abihu, but still he kept the tabernacle open. And it's still to us. The presence of God is still open today. He invites us, even now, into his presence. But we must come to him as he has always called his priest to come because now the priesthood is expanded. All of God's saints are his priests. So we must come as the priest of old were commanded to come in reverence and godly fear. That's part of the point of Hebrews 10. If you read that there are several New Testament passages that clearly have resonance from Leviticus 9 and 10. Hebrews 10 is one of those. Hebrews 10 warns about a great sin that can consume God's people. We will not get into that today, but I'm telling you this, this is not an isolated incident. We, like, we want to pretend like it doesn't happen. But unless we keep incidents like this in mind, we can't understand many of the things that he says and he does in the New Testament. But the emphasis today for us is that God's glory is still here. We are called, though, to pursue that glory. But we pursue it through Christ. We pursue it His way, not ours. We begin in chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, with the initial offerings of the tabernacle. 
God told Moses and Aaron to offer the four major offerings that are listed in the previous chapters. That is the sin offering, the ascension offering, the peace offering, and the grain offering. And he, with this, he gives them a promise that his glory would appear. He said, you do this and my glory will come. Because they hadn't sacrificed. They had not offered anything at the tabernacle up to this point. This initial offering was the first time the glory of the Lord came into the presence of God's people. So what was their response? We, we read in verse 6 that they were struck with fear and they fell. They shouted and they fell on their faces. So no longer was God on the mountain. In the past, when he'd given the law, he was on the mountain. And the people were told, don't come close to the mountain. If you come close to the mountain, you will be killed. But no longer is he on the mountain. Now God's presence has come down to be with his people. So they have a taste of Emmanuel right here. God is with his people. This is probably, uh, we're a little bit early for Advent, but this is not the normal Advent sermon. Yet, God's presence here comes to his people. No longer, as I said, was he away. But then immediately when this happens, when God's glory comes down... Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they took a censer. A censer something that held coals. They took a censer, they filled it with the coals of fire and incense and offered strange fire before the Lord. Now we don't know precisely what that is. But we're told that their actions were not authorized by God. In other words, they did more than God said. And then the glory fire of God that consumed the altar, that consumed the sacrifice, now consumed the priests. And when you read this, you, you can say, oh my, such a, how could that happen? Brothers and sisters, this is not just two men who accidentally picked up the wrong instrument. It's not like they say, you know, it's not like a surgeon when he says, I need a scalpel, and they get the forceps instead, and then the fire comes. No. They knew what they were doing. They likely, and from studying the best we can see from this and other passages and digging a little bit, probably the best explanation is that they, they likely brought fire into the most holy place where God's presence was. In the, within the tabernacle itself, you have the holy place. And then further in, you have the, the most holy place. It's the, the place that the, pre, the high priest could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement, where God's presence was, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they likely went into that place. And God explained his reason he explained why he did what he did. He said, those who come near me, that is the priest, among them I should be regarded as holy or I should be set apart. 
and before the people, I must be glorified. So these men, Nadab and Abihu, took it upon themselves to enter God's glory, a glory for which they were not prepared. They were not high priests. The only high priest was Aaron. And it was not the time that he had appointed for them to go into his presence. So they were taking something that didn't belong to them yet. Just as death came to Eden through ignoring God's commands, here again death comes to the new place where God's presence is in the tabernacle Death comes also through ignoring God's commands. And death has no place in God's presence. That's why he told their cousins, remove them from the presence of God. And also he told Aaron and his other sons, do not mourn for them. Again, that sounds harsh to us, but mourning is something that comes as a result of death. And when you are serving in the presence of Almighty God, death has no place. So what could have protected Nadab and Abihu? It's the same thing that protects us from sin. It's the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. God has given us his fear to keep us from walking into the death traps that are all around us. And there are abundant death traps. And often they, those traps are not just for wicked things. God has filled his world with gifts. And gifts are good. But when we seize those gifts prematurely, when we take what God has not yet intended for us, we are taking death to ourselves. Even when it's something good that we are pursuing. So the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's drinking fresh, clear water. And it helps us, it enlightens us that we can escape from the death traps of seizing glory for ourselves. Now you may ask, does God really do that kind of thing now? I mean, didn't, wasn't there a wholesale change after Jesus came? You know, we see a unique parallel between the events in Leviticus 9 and 10 and the events of Acts chapters 1 through 6. When the church is fully brought into being in both passages, God's people are gathered together and waiting. Leviticus 9, it said the congregation came to the door of the tabernacle. And in Acts 1, the people of God are gathered together in the upper room. 
in Leviticus 9, we see the glory of God come down. It fills the tabernacle with fire, just as in Acts 2 at Pentecost. The Spirit of God came down and filled the new tabernacle, God's people, with fire. They actually saw, as it were, tongues of fire coming from their head. In Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu profane the tabernacle and are slain by Yahweh. And then in Acts 4 and 5, when the new priests of God, God's people, are bringing gifts, we see that they're bringing gifts into the the place of worship, Ananias and Sapphira profane the new dwelling of God by seeking the glory of men and lying to the Holy Spirit. And they are both killed by God. New covenant. And the response is even parallel. In Leviticus 10 verse 3, it says, God says, among my people, I will be glorified. And in the book of Acts chapter 5, it says that the church, when they saw what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, the church grew in the fear of God. These two are so close, it's not an accident. There's a lesson for us here as well. We are called to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a protection for us. It's not a harmful thing. We think that the fear of God is something that we should be afraid of, that we wish we didn't have to do, that we didn't have to embrace that fear. But we're told in Proverbs, again, in the book of Proverbs, this time 19, verse 23, the fear of the Lord tends to life. It leads to life. He that has it shall abide, satisfied, and shall not be visited with evil. Now that's not the type of thing you think of of an anxious person. We think that the fear of the Lord means we have to be like Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith show, always nervous and agitated and afraid that, you know, that the next little thing that comes up is going to get us. That's not the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It is realizing that God is holy. He is glorified and that we are his creatures and we must come to him in the way he has ordained, not in our way. That we cannot impatiently grasp for what is not ours at the time. We must wait. We must receive from his hand. We do not defy him and go about life our way, but rather we submit to him and pursue life his way. That's the fear of God. And that's the fear that allows us. Listen again to these words. The one who has it will abide satisfied. And shall not be visited with evil. The one who has the fear of the Lord is like the blood that was over the doorposts. And when 
the angel of death came. He passed over those who had the blood. If you are walking in the fear of the Lord, that means you are submitted to Jesus Christ, to walking in his ways. And so when evil comes, it's not saying you will never face evil, but when evil comes, its visitation will not consume you. You will not be brought down because you abide satisfied in the Lamb. In reading this story, we learn the importance of fearing God. The fear of the Lord protects us from grasping glory that's not ours. It makes us wait for God to work. Rather than developing our own plans and pursuing things our own way. It drives us towards holiness and away from selfishness and impatience. Do you want to abide? To delight in satisfaction, in contentment? To be surrounded by the presence of God? To dwell within the everlasting arms of the Savior? As Proverbs says, and as we're told also in Deuteronomy, do you want this? Then grow in the fear of the Lord. You say, but, but how? I can't just find a little fear meter on the inside and turn it up to level 10. So how, how do we fear him? What does this look like? Well, that's what Leviticus goes on to talk about. You see, this passage in Leviticus 10 is one of the pivot points in the book. In Leviticus 10, verses 8 through 11, God commands that the priest may not have alcohol when they perform the service of the tabernacle. And, you, and it may seem like a random thing, and, and some commentators speculate that that could have been why Nadab and Abihu actually were so careless in their activity. We don't know for sure. It doesn't say that for certain, so, so that, that's merely a guess. But he does say specifically, God says in ver, chapter 10, verse 10, he wanted to make a difference between holy and profane, between clean and unclean. So then we, we, we'll, we will see in ver, <clears throat> excuse me, chapters 11 through 15, those coming chapters teach God's people how to be holy. It gives them laws that may seem obscure to us. Laws about not eating certain things and eating others. Not mixing cloth. It tells them about how to handle homes that are unclean and things like that. In his grace, God was not leaving his people as they were. He was giving them clear instructions. He was sanctifying them. He was showing them how to become a priestly nation. People who fear the Lord live all of life as unto him. And as a preview of what we will talk about in those coming chapters, thankfully, we're not burdened with the instructions about you can eat certain, these certain animals and you can't eat these others. You can't have any cloth 
that is mixed. A command that probably all of us are in violation of this morning. We're not under that, but we are called, as they were, to have every area of life. When you put on a garment, are you doing it to the glory of God or not? There's not in between. When you eat a meal, are you eating to the glory of God? Because everything in your life is to be holy to the Lord. People who live in the fear of the Lord live as unto him. So this understanding transforms our daily habits, our practices, and our confession. It changes everything we do. Just as the priest's actions in the Old Testament gave life to the people, their actions of serving, of instructing, of offering, making offerings to the Lord, just as those actions gave life to God's people, our actions today in the things that we do, the words that we say, the, the, the testimony that we give, the prayers that we, that we pray for others, our actions, when they are animated by the fear of God, give life to those around us. Everything you do is either life-giving, it's either blessing, or it is life-destroying. So let your words, let your actions be filled with the fear of the Lord. But I don't want to stop here. Because simply talking about our need to fear God, that's, that's a heavy burden. But Leviticus 16, verse 1, after these, the coming commands about clean and unclean and those distinctions, Leviticus 16, 1 picks up in an interesting place. In Leviticus 16, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. So Leviticus 16 picks up after the death of those two men. And in Leviticus 16, we're introduced to the Day of Atonement. The one day of the year when the high priest went into the holiest place and offered incense unto God on the people's behalf. So the one time one man is allowed to go, not just allowed, but called to go into the presence of God happens on the heels of Nadab and Abihu's death. This is the ultimate picture of man coming into fellowship with God. So God calls Aaron to himself, but after the sin of his sons. Brothers and sisters, there is a way for us to come to God. But it's not grasping for glory on our terms. It's not taking things my way as Adam and Eve did. As Nadab and Abihu did. As Ananias and Sapphira did. 
We come to God, not grasping, but rather we come through our high priest. And through him, through Jesus Christ, we are made partakers of God's glory. If you want glory, and you should, it's a good, righteous, and holy desire to desire God's glory. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to be embraced. But if you, to have God's glory, you must come through the glorified one. As John says in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's presence again came down to God's people. And we, John goes on to say, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God's glory is not somewhere out there. It's not something you have to wait on. It's not something that you just say, once I die, then I will know. No, if you wait until you die, you've waited too long. Come through the glorified one and come now. Because we live in a world of death. The snares of death surround us. There are always things that would lure us away. There are always things that tempt us saying, come and partake. You can have what you want your way right now. But death is the result of men trying to gain glory on their own. God calls us to glory. But the only way we receive it is through Christ. So come to him with reverence and godly fear. He offers the only path of eternal glory. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for giving us the path of life to depart from the snares of death. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has made known to us, who has revealed to us your glory. And may we Receive him in submission, in reverence, and in godly fear. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.